listening to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from BIV and BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Today on the show, quantifying Kuzma, the economic consequences of the new NAFTA. It's Friday, August 30th, September, and event season is around the corner. This includes a number of events hosted by Business in Vancouver, all of which are available at BIV.com slash events. Coming up on September 11th, our Business Excellence Series is back with our Women in Business panel. You can hear from business leaders on the topics of equal pay and how successful women rise through the ranks at work. The event will take place at the Vancouver Club. I'll be moderating, and I hope many of you can join us. While America remains Canada's largest trading partner, the partnership can be fraught with uncertainty, bickering, tariffs, and legal fights, as we'll talk a little bit more about today later on the show. For many businesses, this environment is difficult to navigate. So on October 2nd, BIV hosts an expert discussion on navigating the U.S. for business. It will examine the best practices to optimize opportunity in times of geopolitical challenge. It'll also help businesses steer away from the difficult straits. Canada's first year of legalized cannabis has seen significant industrial development and investment. We've also seen a range of regulations imposed around consumer outlets, a shortage of supply, and as well as that persistent black market that continues to complicate the landscape. So what have we learned? What lessons can be applied to the next stage of legalization? On October 9th, BIV's Cannabis One Year On panel examines industry opportunities, challenges, and next steps. For information on this and all of our events, visit BIV.com slash events. Is it possible to quantify the impacts of a trade agreement that has yet to be ratified? Well, recent research from Chiriac Consulting explores the economic consequences of the Canada-U.S.-Mexico agreement. Dan Chiriac is the director and principal of Chiriac Consulting, Inc., as well as a fellow in residence with the C.D. Howe Institute, which recently published a memo on this topic. He joins me today by Skype from Hamburg. Dan, good to have you back on the show. Thanks for coming on. Good morning. How complicated is it to model the consequences of something that hasn't been enacted, one, but is also as complex as a free trade agreement? Well, most free trade trade agreements are pretty complicated to to quantify. This one, however, is especially so uh, because it's not a usual trade agreement. Typical trade agreements like the CETA or the Trans-Pacific Partnership get a lot of their uh, energy, the, a lot of their liberalizing uh, impact from the reduction of tariffs. And tariffs are readily measured and we know trade flows. So we can build models to uh, quantify that. But the uh, USMC or Kuzma in Canadian uh, terminology is different. It's primarily aimed at reducing the amount that we draw on international sources um, of uh, for inputs, for production inputs, and, and channel those back into, into North America. So it's creating more of a North American production system and reducing international sourcing. But that means that its main aim is to increase trade diversion. 
The problem here for a, a trade economist is that trade diversion enters um, a quantification exercise with a negative sign. It's, it's welfare reducing, it's cost increasing. So we're facing a problem with this particular agreement in that we're trying to primarily mod uh, measure the impact of, on, on trade diversion from it, it tightened up rules of origin, increased uh, surveillance uh, at the border to ensure that uh, products from China, for example, are not entering into uh, North American production chains. Alongside that, the other elements of the major elements of the agreement deal with intellectual property and data flows. And we have yet to establish a proper quantification framework to deal with intellectual property and data, unfortunately. So we can take a few stabs at some of these elements. For example, we have uh, taken a stab at, at, at quantifying the impact of the um, tightening of uh, intellectual property protection by raising the term of copyright from 50 years to 70 years in Canada, and by extending the term uh, of protection for data used for uh, uh, biologic drugs uh, approval testing from eight years to 10 years. Uh, so we've, we, we've done a bit of that, but data still remains something that that is beyond the pale for quantification for, for us right now. Mm -hmm. What, in your view, are the most significant findings of this and what are the implications for our economy here in Canada? We come up with an estimate that for Canada, this is going to reduce um, our efficiency of production uh, on a permanent basis by about uh, close to a half a percentage point of GDP. We, we come up with 0.4% on our real GDP on a permanent basis year after year. And a reduction of consumer welfare, which you can think of as, as household spending power of about $10.8 billion U.S. year after year after year. Uh, for Mexico, the effects are roughly twice as large uh, in real GDP. Um, and for the United States, they're a bit less. So the U.S., in the, the Trump administration, in its efforts to create um, a greater uh, industrial activity uh, within the United States is doing so at some cost to itself in efficiency terms. It's not getting away scot-free, but it is uh, imposing greater costs on, on its uh, major trading partners, Canada and Mexico. I think in many ways, Kuzma was considered to be better than the alternative of not having any kind of agreement in place with the U.S. and Mexico. Is it a lot better given what you've estimated in this report, or is it just a little bit better than that alternative? As it turns out, our numbers, and we weren't actually aiming to, to do this comparison, but ex post, after we, we came up with our results, we did look at our previous estimates of the NAFTA falling apart, and the, the Kuzma itself comes out only marginal better than NAFTA falling apart. For Canada, our the actual figures we had for, for NAFTA lapsing were minus 0.49%. For, for Kuzma, it's minus 0.4%. So it's just marginally better. Uh, in welfare terms, we had minus 13.9 billion US dollars uh, lost household um, spending power effectively. For Kuzma, it's minus 10.8. So about you know, 3 billion uh, less of a loss. Uh, for the United States, it's bang on. The U.S. is actually almost indifferent between uh, the, uh, the the Kuzma uh, going ahead and just walking away from NAFTA. 
And one of the, that's an interesting outcome because we know that Canada was pushing back hard on the United States in, in, the, in the negotiations in terms of trying to preserve as much of our market access under NAFTA that we that we had in terms of preserving the institutional measures for ensuring uh, some disciplines on the use of, tr- of trade remedies and uh, and the use of unilateral protection measures. Uh, and we, by our measure, we have uh, the Canadian negotiators essentially forced the United States to accept basically a draw on this. So I, I, I think we came out probably as well as we could in this particular exercise, given where the Americans were going. That's very interesting. One of the positives, I suppose, of having a framework like Kuzma in place would be the potential certainty that it brings as opposed to being in a state of no free trade agreement or a state of perpetual ongoing negotiations. But given everything that's come out of the United States, given its stance on imposing tariffs on its trade partners, on its desire to bring American businesses back to the U.S., do you think that Kuzma gives Canada and Mexico greater certainty in their trading relationship with the U.S.? Probably compared to a no deal, it does give you uh, some uh, improvement in terms of certainty. For example, Canada retains the Chapter 19 uh, measures to uh, to challenge unfair application of U.S. anti-dumping or countervailing uh, duty measures against Canada. Uh, but from in, in many ways, the uh, the the major gap in, in, in what has been negotiated is that this agreement does not create a permanent discipline on the application of the new uh, unilateral measures that the Trump administration is rolling out. For example, uh, the, U- the U.S. imposed uh, 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 Section 232 uh, national security tariffs on, on imports from Canada of steel and aluminum. We those have been removed pursuant to the to the uh, a side deal with uh, regard to, to the uh, Kuzma, and we also have a, a letter uh, a side letter with the United States saying that if the U.S. goes ahead and imposes Section 232 national security tariffs on auto imports, that we will be spared up to a certain ceiling. So there's a little bit of of, of discipline there, but. Ultimately, the U.S. retains its um, its prerogative, its its uh, ability to impose these measures on anything that's coming in from Canada if it deems that to be a national security issue. And here, uh, I, I, I alert people to a, a phrase that uh, USTR uh, Robert Lighthizer uh, used in testimony before Congress. We're talking about the imposition of these Section 232 tariffs on Canadian aluminum. And he said the problem wasn't that it was Canadian aluminum. It was the problem that it was aluminum. So the fact mm. that it's coming in from, a, you know, the U.S.'s closest trading partner, longtime ally, doesn't give us a break on whether this creates a national security issue for the U.S. We have no disciplines on that. In the 1988 negotiations for the original Canada-US FTA, we made it a walkaway point of getting some discipline on anti-dumping countervailing duties, the, the Chapter 19 measures that are being preserved in the Kuzma. We didn't get that kind of certainty on, on Section 232 or the other new me- old measures which are now being dusted off by the Trump administration. 
I'm really interested in exploring with you what seems really counterintuitive. It's called a free trade agreement, and it's between countries that have been trading partners for quite a long time and trading partners under a free trade agreement for quite a long time. And yet there are those protective measures and there are measures that aren't captured under this agreement. And there are perhaps threats that something might be imposed outside of the agreement, despite the fact that we have a Kuzma in place and ready to be ratified. Does that change the nature of this free trade agreement? Is it less free? Is it truly a free trade agreement at this point in your view? Well, it, the title of, of the or the name of the agreement tells you a lot, I think. First of all, there's no North America in there. Uh, and there is no free trade in there. It's just a, the Canada-U.S.-Mexico agreement. Mm. Uh, so uh, there is, I think, some symbolic uh, uh, value there in signaling that we are no. We have moved from the three amigos, three countries producing things together, building things together, working together, creating a North American production space to what are effectively two agreements, because the Mexican part of the agreement was negotiated separately from the Canadian part. And, and ultimately, uh, we have, there's only one chapeau for this, but ultimately, these are, these are separate agreements, and it's no longer, we don't have the sense of North America any longer there. Uh, perhaps that will... That, that is reading too much into, into the, uh, the, the title, but I, I think it's somewhat symbolic. Uh, and, from a re- and, and the reality of it is, of course, that the, even a free trade agreement has got lots of, of potential barriers to the free flow of goods and services across borders, and certainly to the free flow of, of people across borders. But this particular agreement... Uh, does not address now the new most significant threats to uh, to the free flow of goods and services. That is the Section 232, also the re- dusted off Section 301, and now even the most recently uh, 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 used measure, the, um, the IEEPA, the uh, the uh, an Emergency Economic Powers Act. Uh, that that uh, the president has used to threaten uh, uh, U.S. companies operating in China. One can, uh, you know, I, I don't expect that we will see this particular measure used to threaten U.S. companies operating in Canada. But there is no discipline on this, and that is the reality that we face now. Mm-hmm. There has been much discussion about what the long-term impacts to Canada's investment climate might be as a result of Kuzma, and to be fair, also as a result of U.S. corporate tax reform. Is it something that we're able to quantify at this point in time? We have done some simulation work trying to uh, get at this, uh, and the figures are pretty stark, uh, but it's very difficult to come up with a point estimate. So we didn't really want to put any figure in play publicly because uh, we, we just don't have enough um, certainty about the, the the extent of this this uh, uncertainty impact on investment in the long run. We haven't seen, for example, in Canada the kind of exit of uh, companies that we're seeing from the UK because in anticipation of Brexit. We so the Brexit experiment is a natural experiment that if you re- reduce your degree of integration with uh, your partners that investment that was predicated on having that free flow of of goods and services, that investment will move. So the UK is seeing a fair amount of of exit. We're not seeing that in North America. So either 
uh, North American business is not anticipating that much of a difference in the um, in, in, in market access in the long run. And that's what our simulations suggest. Uh, or they're waiting to see, you know, for more shoes to fall, because we've seen certainly a lot of shoes falling in the uh, in the European context. We've seen a lot of shoes falling between uh, U.S. and China. We haven't seen very many further shoes falling on North American uh, trade. So I, I think business is probably wise to uh, buy this time. But one of the things that uh, conclusions that I draw from from this new deal is that if a business were thinking about locating in Canada in order to make a lot of money in North America, in other words, to make big bucks in the United States, it would then face the threat that you know if they succeed, if they become a, a tall poppy, uh, they might be cut off at the knees by the Trump administration uh, wanting that activity for the United States. I think that's the main concern, that it, it, it will tilt the field uh, or the playing field in favor of the United States for the ambitious, you know, the high rollers. And, and we will get we will get some investment, but probably not the big ones. Mm, that's really interesting. And, and a warning, as you put it, to businesses. My final question, Dan, is what happens if Kuzma isn't ratified? Right now, it, it, that would actually be the best of all worlds for Canada because uh, by our estimation, the deal it is negative for Canada. Mm -hmm. The fallback for Canada right now is um, in trade with the with Mexico is the uh, CPTPP, which is a better deal in terms of uh, its um, the, the the tightness of rules of origin and other matters. It's it's modern. It's got all the modern uh, bells and whistles that 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 you want in agreement. Kuzma has all those now too because it's basically it, uh, uh, adapted from from CPTPP, but. With our trade with the United States, we go back to NAFTA, and the NAFTA is is a, it would that would be a welfare improving, efficiency improving uh, agreement for Canada relative to the Kuzma. The trouble there is that there would be a new type of uncertainty would then enter into whether or not the Trump administration would try and pull the plug on NAFTA. So if 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 ratification failed, um, say in in the United States, and the, the Trump administration has threatened pulling the plug on NAFTA. So if NAFTA goes, then there would be a, a further fallback, which is the original Canada-US free trade agreement. If they also went to pull the plug on that, then you would have a worse situation uh, in the NAFTA lapsing uh, scenario, which we've already described. So um, at the moment, uh, the, uh, the, 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 you know, if, if, if Cruz doesn't go ahead and Failure to ratify is in the United States. We still have NAFTA in place, but there would that would be you know there would be a, a, an asterisk asterisk on that one as to how long that would stay in place. Fair enough, Dan. As always, a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks for coming on with your insight. A great pleasure. Thank you for having me on. That's Dan Churiak, director and principal of Churiak Consulting, as well as a fellow in residence with the CD Howe Institute. That's it for our show. Thanks for listening to BIV today. You can get notified of new episodes by subscribing to us on iTunes or on Stitcher. All of our episodes are also available at BIV.com slash audio. For more business news, visit BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back after the long weekend.